0: Hey everyone, it's Arnold with Warm Welcome. Hope you're doing well and happy Wednesday. Today, I am sitting down with Ryan Wong, who is the chef owner of a place called Needle in Silver Lake. It is a Cantonese restaurant, opened in October 2019. So fairly new and only opened for a few months before the pandemic happened. And we had a really great conversation all around about, I mean, just jumping on a few topics, but most importantly about him working in the buzziest L.A. restaurants such as Ink, Twomek, and Odium, and realizing while cooking this kind of new American cuisine, he had zero connection to the food that he was plating and putting up, right? And along the way, when it was time for him to open or do his own concept, he found that he wanted to tackle the food he grew up with, which was Cantonese food. And so naturally, the restaurant is a Cantonese restaurant, but that that came with so many challenges for ryan being a first-time business owner and some of the lessons he's still learning to this day um he just celebrated his one year anniversary and and it's crazy because nine months ten nine ten months or i guess even more than that it was him tackling and surviving this pandemic so his story was just really inspirational in so many ways and his willingness to really carry this cuisine forward, Cantonese cuisine forward, uh, was worth sharing in my opinion. So without further ado, I hope you can join my conversation that I had with Ryan of Needle, Los Angeles. We had an opportunity to meet in person um, a few weeks back when um, it wasn't as crazy as it is in terms of the restrictions. Um, and, uh, I, I, just related to you so much, uh, on, on, a personal level and a professional level in terms of your career. So I definitely want to cover that for the first part of our interview. And, um, I guess to start off, uh, maybe kind of explain to, you and share with the audience in terms of where you grew up, cause I knew you grew up in California, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, your upbringing.
1: Yeah. So growing up, uh, kind of moved quite a bit, um, started off in Alhambra and then moved to. Uh, Baldwin Park. That's where I started uh, elementary school, and then ended up uh, living with my grandparents for about three years because their their uh, their school district was better. And then after that, uh, moved to cerritos where I uh, started middle school and uh, went to high school there. And that's where uh, my parents currently live.
0: Yeah, and your family's from Hong Kong, right? If I if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, my family's from Hong Kong. Um, but yeah, I was born here, but, uh, you know, I, I try, I try to connect with, you know, that side of my cult, my heritage and culture (laughs) as much as I can.
0: In terms of like cooking, because you did spend, I mean, you know, you're, you're a chef owner and that's, that's kind of your identity, but when did you like get into it? When did you get into cooking and, and did it, when did it kind of become an interest
1: for you? Uh, it was really early on. I was about, four years old, I would help my mom with dinner, helping prepare, doing knife work, setting table. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's it's true. I would always, you know, watch cooking shows with my mom. So Saturday mornings would be, you know, filled with cartoons. And then after that would be all the cooking shows on PBS. And I would watch every single cooking show with my mom, uh, be Julia Child, Jacques mm-hmm. Pen, Martin Yan. all those (laughs) TV chefs back in the day. I didn't realize it then, but like now that I think, think back, you know, just kind of was how I was wired. It's kind of like, kind of like playing with Legos, you know, you're just like building things and putting ingredients together, except you have a little more control over uh, the little nuances. Um. So, yeah. And then, uh, when I started kindergarten, I would, you know, come back home from school and make my own lunch. Uh, I know it sounds ridiculous. Uh, I would cook for my brother as well. He's four years older. Yeah. It would be simple things like fried rice, you know, instant ramen, but you know, I would doctor it up, you know, do a fried egg and, you know, put ham or something on it. Yeah. And when you, when you
0: mentioned college, did you go to like culinary did you get culinary school or was it something else?
1: Uh, I went to um, UC Irvine mm-hmm. uh, so I went to university I uh, studied um, <laughs> political science and anthropology uh, it's more because I had no idea what I was going to do you know it's kind of something that you know my parents pushed on me and it's something that all my friends were doing so I figured you know I was supposed to go to college and uh, yeah I ended up not doing anything that I studied for.
0: <laughs> well, so I read that your, your first job that you had, right. You were a dishwasher in 08. So was this, first of all, was that your first job? And also was either in college or, or after?
1: Just wanted this to start was, talking about your journey. Yeah, this was two years after I graduated from college. I graduated in 06. Um, so my first job out of college was actually, Um, I was a substitute teacher because um, I was trying to find a job that would you know pay decently but would give me the flexibility because uh, I wanted to pursue music. I had a band. (laughs) yeah, Uh, It was a four-piece band um, doing kind of rock alternative music. What would you play? Uh, I was a guitar uh, rhythm guitar and lead vocals um, I wrote all the, you know, the, the lyrics too. Yeah. So yeah, it was kind of, um, you know, kind of off the beaten path, you know, wasn't something that my parents approved of, but you know, I wanted to give it a shot. Um, cause you just never know where, where it's going to take you. I didn't think I was particularly good, but I mean, most, most people who make it aren't particularly talented either. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta be in the right place at the right time, know the right people. Um, but yeah, so I tried that out for about five years. Uh, played a couple shows, uh, came out with the you know, EP. What,
0: is this still somewhere where we can listen to? Is, <laughs> that, is, is it on the internet
1: somewhere? Um, it's somewhere out there. It's somewhere out there. <laughs> Uh but yeah so um about about 3 3 years into it 2 years into it um decided that you know I couldn't keep you know substitute teaching cuz I knew I wasn't going to do that long term um so I decided that made the conscious conscious decision to you know find something that I could pursue while pursuing music so um you know throughout college all my friends were would always tell me like, Oh, you should be a chef. You know, you should cook, you should work in restaurants. And, um, I always kind of brushed it off. Cause I mean, honestly, I was never disillusioned. I always knew how difficult it would be. Right. You didn't um, like rom- romanticize it. Yeah. No, like I, I knew how hard cooking would be and I avoided it for the life of me, even though I had the talent. Um, so you know, I, it kind of came back and I started think about, thinking about it some more and um, came to the decision that like, you know, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to put everything into it. Um, so I made the conscious decision to pursue cooking and um, I was trying to look for a job and I mean, no one would hire me because I had zero experience. So I would, you know, send resumes to a bunch of restaurants and never hear back. And uh, so I decided to enroll in culinary school. Um, so this was at a community college. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to like Cordon Bleu or you know CIA or anything, just because I knew coming out of it, I'd be in debt for uh, ten years. So, I mean, I was pretty smart about that. So I went to community college, you know, I um, was able to pay everything, you know, out of pocket right away. Um, So it was just more to get my foot in the door. Um, I didn't think that culinary school would honestly give me the tools to succeed. It was just more of, you know, it was just more of having something on your resume and you know to show other people that you're serious yeah i started culinary school and then um was also you know still reaching out to different restaurants and then uh there was one restaurant that um where the chef actually got back to me it was uh the chef at a sheraton hotel um in in the, in the city i was living in and um yeah, he actually refused <laughs> and told me like sorry, we don't have a position. And then so I was really bummed, but a friend of mine told me to, you know, why don't you do a follow-up letter and just like at least say thank you, you know, for your time. And so uh I did that and um actually got called back and uh, he told me to come in. And he said, you know, I don't really have much for you, but like, you know, if you want to wash dishes, you know, like you can do that. <laughs> and um and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do anything. Um, just, I needed to get my foot in the door. So um, yeah, I was, I was a I was a dishwasher at a hotel. <laughs> and it was really hard. I did it for nine months. Uh, we would have, you know, weddings almost every weekend and be washing dishes for, you know, 400 people, sometimes 900 people. Uh, I'd be there till like 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning at times. Yeah. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty grueling. Um, but I learned to appreciate, you know, what I was working towards. So after
0: you spent nine months washing dishes, which by the way, I started, that was my first job ever too, was washing dishes. And I think that, um, everyone should do it once (laughs) in their lives because it is a, it's it's a rite of passage and it's a, it's a humbling experience, you know? Um, but then after that, you worked at pretty much all the you know you name it, like the hottest restaurants in LA. You know, from Voltaggio's uh, Inc to working with Ludo and then uh, Odium. And um, just wanted to touch a little bit on, on those places, and and, uh, and I know you had dedicated a, a quick IG post about you know at your time at these places and, and what you kind of learned. But um, maybe I kind of reiterate on the on the podcast too.
1: So my chef at the Sheraton Hotel, he had connections with um, the restaurant group that, um, that started Mesa. So it's a kind of a bar restaurant, um, cocktail lounge in Costa Mesa. Uh, so he got me connected with them and, uh, ended up, uh, talking to the chef and, um, he was able to bring me on as a prep cook. So uh, I, I started as prep cook, you know, the processes to, you know, make sure that, you know, each station is set up for success, um, and just how to, you know, move and behave in the kitchen. (laughs) It wasn't quite the same type of like LA kitchen that I went to, you know, later on. This is very, you know, more low key. Uh, so I think it was a good way to introduce myself to, uh, to that, that style of cooking. Um, and then eventually went to, um, Michael Votaggio's Restaurant Inc. Because that was opening up. That was a hot new restaurant. Uh, it was very much anticipated. He was coming off his, uh, you know, top chef victory. Um, and he was int- he was introducing something that was just really new to LA, which was, you know, modern cooking, molecular gastronomy, things like that. Um, so that was kind of like the hot thing that I wanted to start learning because I knew that, you know, that would be something that would be important to to add to my resume, add to my repertoire. So I applied there. Um, they needed a meat cook and, uh, you know, they brought me on.
0: <laughs> From there you went, you went all the way up to a, a sous chef too, right?
1: Yeah. So it's not pretty soon after I started working there, they promoted me the, the sous chef. It was funny because, um, yeah, Maylin, me and her started exactly on the same day. A few months later, I think like three or four months later, we both got promoted to sous chef. So like I was, I was like, you know, in charge of the meat, meat side of things. She was in charge of the fish side. Um, so yeah, it was really cool.
0: Did you, and, uh, you know, I, I only ask you this because during my time working in kind of new American spots and, you know, um, new european spots what have you i soon realized that a lot of the sous chefs are actually asian american and it seems like this is no exception here with you and me uh working as sous chefs did you guys ever sneak in or introduce like asian pantry items or, or 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 things like or flavors and stuff like that
1: yeah yeah definitely um i introduced uh you know, Ching king black vinegar I ended up on like a scallop dish and also um, this uh, squid ink potato dish. Yeah, it's it's weird because you know a lot of these high-end restaurants, you know, there's there's always an Asian person there. My theory is because you know we we grew up having to take on a, a lot of responsibility in the first place as kids and you know going 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 to school and there's been so much pressure on us to perform well you know since we we're little kids that you know it, it really doesn't faze us you know like chefs yelling at me never really bothered me you know it it it'd make other people really nervous and you know kind of you know shudder in fear but like you know i kind of relished in that you know if, if i got yelled at then that just made me you know perform better
0: <laughs> yeah
1: I mean, so many
0: fantastic. I mean, the, a, a, most of the restaurants that you worked at are always on these lists, right? Essential lists, and and always talked about too. So, what was it like when you did your first kind of standalone pop up or kind of your own concept? Because because you used a needle name way early on in 2016, right? For your for your pop up,
1: started getting this feeling of getting um, yeah, again. I'm tired of fine dining and it's more so because, you know, I wanted to do something that was honest to myself, cooking food that I've never really had a connection with growing up. Like that's, that's not something I could be truly, you know, honest with. Like I didn't grow up eating like, Oulia base or, you know, Artox or, you know, like, uh, Coquavon, things like that. Like that's something I've never had growing up. So like, there's, there's no, there's no history. There's no food memories. There's no, um, just, there's no endearment, you know, in a way, you know, it got to a point where I wanted to do, I wanted to do food. I grew up eating. You know, and it seems like that that was the, that was a trend with new American cuisine, right? Like new American cuisine probably started, I'd say 20 years ago. And, you know, that started with people kind of playing with, you know, mac and cheese and giving that update and, you know, putting out, you know, gourmet burgers and, and, you know, what have you, um, and this is all food that, you know, these American chefs, you know, grew up eating and they're just trying to take it to to the next step and the next level. Uh, so I started thinking to myself, well, how come I can't do that with Chinese food? It has to start somewhere. You know, everyone knows Chinese food as what it currently is right now. It has to be, you know, traditional, has to be familiar, has to be exactly what they grew up eating or what everyone knows it as when's the new movement for Chinese food going to happen? And, um, I didn't see it at the time. Like I didn't see it happening elsewhere. So I'm like, okay, well, if no one's going to do it, then I'm going to do it. (laughs) So that's kind of what, what started needle. Um, so I started with a pop-up that was kind of like the first, uh, first venture into, um, you know, doing this. And I did one ton noodle soup. That uh, was something that was familiar. And, and it came from the idea that, you know, every one a noodle soup in, in the city, in San Gabriel Valley, it's not very good to be honest. Everyone's broth. It's honestly just chicken stock with, you know, maybe they add more chicken powder to it and they, add shrimp shells and, you know, that might be it. So there's not a lot of depth. I just kind of felt like, you know, the bar got got really, really low here. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe you know, these maybe Chinese chefs got complacent and, you know, they realized that no one really cared or, you know, people would still buy it. So, I mean, the bar just got lower and lower as time went on. And, I wasn't happy with that. You know, for the life of me, I couldn't find a place that had good wonton noodle soup. Kind of that that sentiment, like if you can't if you can't find it, or you know you gotta do it yourself. <laughs> so I start I, I did it myself. So I did a one to noodle pop up. Uh, you yeah, know, did a lot of R and D on that. It ended up only being one pop up because you know, it wasn't what I was expecting. It was more of like a f- friends and family thing, where all my friends showed up, and you know, I could just do that at home. Like I don't need to do a I don't need to do a pop up, so I I kind of you know rethought everything through and I'm like okay like I need to open a restaurant like like I need to build something yeah pop ups cool but like I want to build something like I want to build something with my, with my hands I want to build the restaurant I want to build you know the following with that from the time of the pop up to when we first opened our st- our brick and mortar. That was about three years. Uh, so it's, it took, took me three years to
0: find a spot. First time business owner. Tell me about some of the challenges that, that, that you came across. Cause now not only are you thinking about food alone, right? And food costs maybe and or R and D you're thinking about a million other things, right? Just the whole
1: idea of even starting a business, you know, that's not something you can just like figure out you know, you got to do a lot of research. You got to talk to people. Uh, you got to call the city and figure out the permitting, figure out the licensing, figure out, you know, all the legal, all the legal matters. So, I mean, that part's really hard. Cause I mean, no one's really going to teach you that. So you kind of have to f- jump through hoops and, Call people, and then they'll you know send you somewhere else, and then you talk to that person. They'll send you somewhere else, and you just kind of have to connect all the dots and figure out you know the order of doing things. Uh, so yeah, that was difficult. Um, and also for me, staffing was really hard. I know staffing's hard in general for restaurants, but it's even harder when you're a chef who no one knows about. So no one knows who the hell I am. You know, I worked for other, you know, well known chefs, but no one knows the people who work for, who do the legwork for these chefs, you know. For the type of food that I wanted to do, it was really hard to find people with ambition, that kind of ambition and that kind of skill set. All the people that I was able to hire, you know, in the beginning uh, were people who just needed a job. <laughs> you know, these are people who, you know, never had any fine dining experience at all it was difficult to implement, you know, my standards and, you know, my attention to detail, um, how I wanted things done, organized things like that. So yeah, staffing was really hard. And it was just, um, also I didn't have a, I didn't start with the sous chef or anything. So it was just me. Yeah. So I was, you know, I was doing all the recipes. I was teaching all the cooks how to, you know, prepare the dishes and cook the dishes, plate the dishes. Uh, I was teaching the front of the house about the dishes, what's in it, all the allergies, things like that. Everything was in my head. And then I was trying to convey everything that was in my head to every single person on my staff.
0: <laughs> you only opened a year ago, a little over a year ago, October, 2019, right? Your restaurant. Talk to me about, the opening day? Like, do you remember your first day of business when you, when you actually opened doors after doing all this training and
1: implementing and putting things in place? Well, the grand opening was busy. A lot of my friends and family came, um, people from the neighborhood came. Um, yeah, it really caught us off guard. I thought we were going to be slow and we got killed. <laughs> it was a rush, but I mean, it was a good feeling. I mean, it's better than being slow, honestly.
0: Did you have any sort of like, um, euphoric moment or anything like that, because here you are cooking for other people in the guise of their food. And, and like you said, what's so unfortunate about being a sous chef is most oftentimes you're not able to get your word, your, you know, your face or who you are out there. Um, so for you to be here at needle at your own restaurant, cooking your food. Um, I mean, did, did, did that hit you at all at some point,
1: especially that first week maybe, or, or the first month? So honestly, honestly, I could have I could do there's a lot of things I could do with my life, you know, like cooking is not the end all be all. It just happens that I'm passionate about cooking and food and I'm good at it. And even and to add to that, it's you know, like Chinese food, it it needs its moment. I feel like, you know, it's it's kind of been on the on the bottom of, you know, everyone's, uh, <laughs> everyone's list. Um, you know, it just kind of gets, gets shed on, you know, for lack of a better word <laughs> in the, in our current like food culture and, you know, in terms of what people are talking about, you know, people don't talk about Chinese food, you know, well, at least not Cantonese food. I think food right now it's, I mean, or like, at least a year ago was you know Sichuan food, uh, Lebanese food, you know maybe maybe Taiwanese food. No one no one was ever really talking about Cantonese food. And you know Cantonese food is the food I grew up eating. And you know I feel like you know there's a lot of value to that. It's it's such a it's such an old culture. It's it's been refined for you know thousands of years. Yeah, you know, but it really hasn't been given the spotlight, and you know, felt like it was it was my duty to you know give it a platform and you know get people to start talking about it again. Um, give it some some street cred, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, it was it was never really about me, and it was never really about <clears throat> what I can do as a chef. Is more to it's more of a vehicle to push, you know, the food forward, the cuisine forward.
0: I know you had just, Oh, I'm trying, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, right? Cause here you are, you spent all these years working, uh, in restaurants and in October, you open, um, you're up and running October, November, December, January, February, and the March hits dude. This is what, like not even six months in. Um, talk to me a little bit about that experience. Cause I, I, just, as you had mentioned, I know you have the conviction of representing and cooking Cantonese food, but, and, but, but on the other side of this, you just also told me that, Hey, I don't really need to be cooking. I could be doing something else. So did that ever cross your mind the last, I mean, Oh my gosh, it's been nine months. Did ever ever cross your mind the last nine months, like just moving on and doing something else or anything like that? Throwing the towel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, honestly, I mean, it'd be definitely easier. Because um, uh, I mean, and anyone who works in the restaurant business knows it's it's hard. And you know, throw in you know the current circumstances with the pandemic, it, it makes it exponentially harder. Um, it's it's not in me to quit. It's not in me to to give up so easily. If I didn't feel so much conviction towards it, then you know, obviously, I you know, I'd probably quit you know in a heartbeat. It's just something I couldn't give up on you know I feel like it's important you know yeah in terms of you know candy's food in LA um it's kind of it's kind of dying you know a lot of the chefs are retiring you know no one's no one's really you know picking up the the torch and and running with it so you know what's going to happen in 20 years if you know there's there aren't people like me trying to trying to you know carry the torch you know it it might might as well disappear you know or you'll get really mediocre Cantonese food you know it's just gonna it's just gonna go downhill so um I guess yeah for me back to you know what I said before it's it's a mission you know it's it's trying to push the cuisine forward it's you know it's it's a purpose for me and to me it's 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 worth it you know To live without purpose you know that's kind of a shitty feeling you know like it's it's better to you know be in the trenches and you know working working really hard for you know something you believe in than than not we did close for about two months you know during the first you know first bit of the pandemic just because there was so much uncertainty you know i really didn't know what was going to happen i was really afraid to you know, make things worse. Honestly, like I didn't want to cause more harm than good. So, um, that's why we decided to close. Um, but, you know, eventually got to the point where, you know, you look at your bank account and, uh, it gets, gets, you know, smaller and smaller. <laughs> uh, yeah, you gotta make the decision to you know keep going.
0: But I think you have to cut yourself some slack too, right? Cause it's like, dude, you opened last year, but... Nine months out of this year and two, two months, you. You we've been on, um, you know, lockdown, partial lockdown. It doesn't even really necessarily count. So you, you've yeah. really been open for like four months, man, like four or five months. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. And, and I think restaurants take so much time for people to get familiar with and comfortable with. You know, it's, it's definitely like at least minimum two years for people to be like, oh, okay. You know, um, yeah. to, to well, get to know.
1: It was definitely a big curveball because, I mean, after that, had, I- After, yeah, the pandemic started, I pretty much had to, you know, change things around, make the the menu a little more, you know, takeout friendly or kind of more kind of meal prep, meal prep friendly, you know, things you can buy and kind of eat, you know, as the days go on. Um, And I was also working by myself for four of the last seven months. We were open. Yeah, I was prepping everything, cooking everything, washing all the dishes, cleaning in the kitchen, picking up all the, you know, supplies and ingredients. I was even washing all the linens. Yeah, it was tough. Um, and, you know, a lot of that was because, you know, you know, staffing is really hard when, you know, everyone's getting unemployment.
0: <laughs> no, for sure. For sure.
1: You know, people rather stay at home and get a collect a check rather than, you know, work when you don't have to, you know? Uh, so yeah, I ended up doing doing it by myself and, you know, also as a way to keep, keep our bubble small. So it was just me and my wife, you know, my, my wife works a day job and then she would, uh, come home and then, you know, take the dog out, feed the dog, and then come to the restaurant and then help me with, uh, you know the front of house packing the orders i definitely couldn't have done this without her without her so yeah even in the beginning you know she's you know helped me with you know the front of house operations and all the logistical work payroll um helping me with uh you know the website you know and then even more currently you know the ordering system updating inventory uh, things like that uh, helping me with uh correspondence with emails so yeah i mean without her like i'd be not sleeping
0: (laughs) here in in la there's no outdoor there's no indoor um
1: what is your
0: what is your outlook? I mean, how are you how are you dealing with it as a as a, as a restaurant owner? Do you feel I,
1: I I'm just so curious to hear more about your thoughts. I knew that things would get worse, honestly. Just cuz, you know, that's how human nature is. You know, people will, you know, let their guard down. They'll think things are okay when they're not. You know, people will get tired of following rules and they'll be more careless as time goes on. You know all that's going to happen. So I knew we were going to fall into more dismal times so i never reconfigured my menu for outdoor dining or indoor dining i always knew that it'd be takeout for at least another year we positioned ourselves to you know kind of weather that storm to
0: be more takeout focused and takeout
1: friendly yeah and fortunately our our food you know lends to that you know when people think of chinese food they think of takeout so that's that's pretty helpful too but but yeah i was never under the impression that you know we would be back to dining on on premises (laughs) i mean i feel i feel i feel bad for you know all the other restaurants who invested you know so much capital into you know making outdoor dining possible but you know i knew that wasn't a solution
0: yeah it was more like a temporary band-aid that that, that was going to come off at some point you know yeah I, I know I told you that was the last question, but I realized that I never gave you the opportunity and the chance to explain what needle means and meant to you the significance behind a name. So I, I'd love to just spend uh, 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 some time on that because I, I would hate for I would hate for myself to to explain what it is and, and call it a day. So just, just to wrap things up.
1: It's kind of a play on words. So it's um, the Chinese word for here is, uh, for the Cantonese word for here is needle. And so I was just kind of playing around with it. And then um, in English, it sounds like needle, like, you know, like the instrument. <laughs> like I thought that was cool. That was a fun play on words. And going back to what we talked about previously in being present, I wanted our diners to, to feel present in the moment while they're at the time eating at our restaurant, <laughs> feel the thought the thoughtfulness that we put into each dish, uh, feel the balance and harmony that we put into each dish, and for it to be a place where it's uh, more about just forgetting about you know the outside world, forgetting about your your troubles, your worries, and then just kind of you know coming here and enjoying the moment, enjoying your meal. So. That's where that stems from. And also needle kind of you know means precision. Um for me that's very important because that's how I've always done things. I've always been a perfectionist. I like to focus on execution um and little details that um it that may not be noticeable to people, but you know, I notice it. I'll I'll notice when you know something is you know, missing, you know, a pinch of salt or something, or uh, it's missing a certain balance of acidity or missing uh, a certain amount of, you know, savoriness or I don't know, what have you. So little things that amount to kind of that, that wow moment when you take a bite of food. So. those are the little things that really matter to me. So that's kind of the precision that I like to put into my cooking. So it was kind of fitting to, you know, call ourselves Nino as well.
0: Great. Well, Hey, I really appreciate you being on the show. And I hope that more people get to know you and your restaurant because it seems like, you know, this is, this is what I love about you, but also the the people that have been in this, on this show and, and, and part of this larger community, which is, I think a lot of us are doing it out of passion over profit and with conviction. So like, like you had said, a lot of, you know, we don't, we don't have to do this in in the sense that most of us. And when I say most of us, I mean um, mid twenties to early thirties, college educated Asian Americans were like, you know, 1.5 second generation. We, we probably started something else in college like you did. And we don't have to be cooking. We don't have to be working in restaurants, which still has that kind of connotation, right? Of of being kind of blue collar or, or lore or whatever, what have you. So I respect that you're doing this and you're doing it with, with a mission. And uh, there, there's something bigger at play here than than you just trying to make money or, or whatever the case is. It definitely doesn't seem like that's at the forefront of your mind, you know, and you're yeah, trying to really push right. the culture forward. So... I, I just want to say, man, I just really respect what you do. And uh, I hope that thank many more, more people can, can come to appreciate that part of the restaurant too. That it's not just a, a Chinese restaurant. There's just so much more depth and, and, and layers to it too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's was, it was fun having a chat with you. Hey,
0: everyone. Thanks for tuning in all the way to the end. And thank you, Ryan, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And I am so happy that you were the first LA guest that we had on this podcast. It really means a lot to me. And for anyone that's listening in, if you've enjoyed this episode, definitely give us a follow if you're not doing so already on Spotify. And if you're listening to us on Apple podcast, rate and review us so we can get discovered. And I hope to see you next week on With World Welcome.